Greetings, all you 99 percenters. This is your host, Dr. Jack Rasmus. This is Alternative Visions. Okay, we're doing something a little different this week. Uh, I want to sort of uh, focus on personalities in the global political economy of the past week. You know, what the, What were some of the individuals who uh, said something or did something uh, that might sound interesting? You know, the agents of this political economic developments that are going on. Uh, but first, a comment here. Uh, today, uh, the Biden administration said, uh, oh, we brought down the budget deficit in the U.S., only $1.38 trillion. The deficit, by the way, the budget ends September 30th, so they just got the full year. You know, It goes from October 1st of last year to September 30th this year. And uh, 1.38 trillion, whoopee, down from 2.78 trillion. Uh, well, you know why it's down? They, they just cut out all the COVID relief. That's why. Yeah, that saved them over a trillion dollars. And of course, uh, it has uh, consequences for the middle class and the working class and the poor. Uh, they cut all that out. Some of it they cut out early, too, you know. So uh, that's where their big savings is, right? Uh, they didn't do anything about uh, raising taxes to bring in more revenue to reduce the deficit. You know, deficits are a result of spending uh, and taxes. Tax revenues up, deficits go down. You know, spending down, deficits uh, you know, go down, etc. Okay, so uh, they're making a big deal out of that right before the election, but uh, I, I don't know. I'd make a big deal out of it. It just means that they cut out everything that they, they were using to support people. Um, prematurely, in my opinion, but uh, we'll see. But, you know, the other thing they're not saying is, uh, okay, you know, the deficit's down, but... Uh, the cost of Fed borrowing is up. <laughs> yeah, you know, the interest on the debt during the COVID uh, was virtually zero for the government. But now, you know, uh, they're paying four or five percent and that's going up. And uh, that's going to add to the deficit next year. Yeah, you're going to have more deficit because of uh, interest payments on the debt going up significantly next year. Uh, and, of course, uh, war spending uh, going up. Uh, recent budget uh, proposal for next year by Biden, big increases uh, in uh, war spending, uh, at least $100 billion, maybe more, before they get through it, because they always uh, up the amount of in the budget for war spending, the president asks for so much in his budget, and Congress always wants to add a little bit more, sometimes a lot more. And sometimes when the U.S. goes to war directly, uh, they add a category called the OCO, um, which is uh, how they fund the military directly, direct military costs, you know. Uh, so uh, that may happen next year. We'll we'll see. 
because the uh, global political situation is very, very unstable. You know, they're sort of uh, uh, slouching towards um, a much greater conflict in Ukraine, both sides uh, uh, throwing out uh, loose talk about using tactical nuclear weapons uh, as they get closer to uh, a more intense conflict. Uh, as we know, uh, the Russians are, uh, in the past week have uh, used a lot of drones and shut down at least 30% of the power uh, sources into Ukraine. Zelensky admitted that 30% of the uh, electricity infrastructure has been destroyed. That means it's probably about 50%. Uh, and that's pretty serious here. Uh, Russia could knock it out 100% if it wanted to. Uh, but it's uh, going slow in terms of escalation, believe it or not. Uh, but it's going, and escalation is increasing into Ukraine. Uh, right now, the Russians are, in terms of manpower, um, you know, like a 10 to 1 ratio. The uh, Ukrainian army mobilized more forces much faster than the Russians. The Russians just announced they're going to add more forces. Uh, but the Ukraine already has, and it's got all the equipment it wants from the U.S. Uh, so, um, you know, that uh, imbalance in just the men on the ground uh, has favored uh, Ukraine, and the results are are obvious in the Northeast and now in the South region. Uh, so, uh, you know, that whole situation is getting very intense and worse, uh, which means the U.S. is going to spend more uh, on Ukraine next year, and that will exacerbate the budget deficit. Uh, as uh, the U.S. slips into a deeper recession, we'll talk about that some in 2023, uh, of course, that means uh, tax revenues decline, and if revenues decline, the deficit gets worse. Uh, so you can expect that to happen next year as the economy slows. By the way, Citibank economists have uh, just recently uh, publicly forecast a 100% guaranteed recession 2023 in the U.S., 100%. They know it's coming. Well, that would mean tax revenues are down and deficit rises, and next year's deficit will definitely be worse than $1.38 trillion this year. Probably not uh, $2.78 trillion because they'll cut uh, social programs to some extent. Uh, watch, uh, watch the Republicans go after uh, Social Security. How? Uh, they're going to certainly passed legislation to raise uh, the retirement age, you know, at least one or two more years uh, to reduce the cost of Social Security. That's a cut, you know. And they'll go after SSDI, disability insurance, and uh, pay less for people who are on disability. Uh, uh, that's a foregone conclusion. There will be some big changes in Social Security and, of course, the other social spending programs as, as well. Uh, but uh, cutting social programs uh, is never uh, equivalent to the increase in defense and war spending. So uh, the net result is that the deficit uh, keeps growing 
And as I said, that deficit will grow even more because interest on the debt at five, six, seven percent now is going to have to be paid here starting next year. So uh, watch the deficit; it'll be worse, right? Uh, next week, take uh, you know, watch what happens to the EU banks, UK and EU banks. That's going to be interesting. Their profit or loss numbers are going to come out. Uh, that's a weak spot in the global financial economy. Uh, the focus of that is uh, Swiss bank Credit Suisse in big trouble, selling off its assets. Also, always a sign that a, an institution's in trouble when it has to sell off its assets, and that's that's going on here, big time. Italian banks selling assets too, uh, and then of course we don't know what's hap going to happen in Ukraine. I mean, uh, excuse me, in the UK. Uh, in the UK is a basket case. Politically and economically, politically and economically, uh, uh, the UK is becoming the Italy of the North here in terms of instability, political instability and economic instability. Uh, so let's talk about that. Let's talk about Elizabeth Truss, who was the PM 45 days ago and is no longer the prime minister. The shortest uh, duration of uh, being in office in uh, Britain's entire history, 44 days, and she's out, right? Why is she out? Uh, well, she got ambushed by the bond vigilantes, right? Bond vigilantes, capitalists, the capitalist institution, you know, hedge funds, equity funds, and so forth. Um, they're the bond vigilantes here. Uh and uh, they're the real power. You can see the real power in, in the UK here. Uh, they gave her the deep six, threw her under the bus, whatever. Here, why? Why did they do that to Liz Truss? Uh, well, because Liz was trying to propose a, a fiscal program by the UK government, her new UK government, that would stimulate the economy and try to uh, grow out of the economic crisis. Yeah, uh, by doing what? By cutting taxes, for one, and increasing some social spending. Well, you know, the bond vigilantes did not like that. You know, I mean, their whole program is to get the Bank of England to raise interest rates to protect the value of their investments, which have collapsed about 25 percent. Yeah, because their currency has collapsed 25. The pound has collapsed 25 percent. Well, you know, if I'm holding assets, I'm a wealthy investor, you know, whether it's currency assets, the pound or some other assets, if it collapses 25 percent, that means I've lost 25 percent paper value. No, to them it's real, whether it's paper or not. Yeah. So, uh, you know, the capitalists, especially finance capitalists in the UK are, um, are uh, quite disturbed, you know, mm -hmm. about the collapse of their profits, paper profits, their value, their assets, their wealth, you know. Yeah. And the solution to that in their view, is to get the Bank of England to raise interest rates. Why? Because if the Bank of England raises interest rates, it props up their currency, which is collapsing 25%. In other words, it stops the collapse of their currency, maybe even reverses some of it. All right? So that's what they want more than anything. 
and they don't want more spending, social spending, by trusts and the PM, you know, and the conservatives. They want because that will exacerbate inflation. You see, the whole idea is to prevent inflation from collapse, from rising, because inflation undermines their assets. And inflation, and now the numbers came out, is well over 10% in the UK. Now, inflation at 10% uh, is caused largely by uh, sanctions, you know, on commodities, Russian sanctions, oil, energy, natural gas, uh, industrial commodities, metals, you know, agriculture, and so forth, right? All those commodities, whether it's oil, energy, agriculture, metals, whatever, are traded in dollars in the world. You see, you got to have dollars in order to buy that stuff. And uh, if your currency collapses, you got to spend more of your currency to buy the dollars to buy that stuff. You know, you don't buy it with uh, your 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 own currency. No, it's only traded in dollars. You got to go into money markets, global money markets, and exchange your currency, which if, if it's collapsed, it costs you more to buy an equivalent amount of dollars in order to buy that stuff. You see? Uh, so what countries do is raise their interest rates to slow the outflow of money capital and keep their in their country and keep their currency up, right? And uh, that means the currency collapse is, is contributing significantly to their inflation. Unlike in the U.S., you see, U.S., it's mostly supply side and demand. It's not currency collapse. In fact, the opposite, the rising value of the dollar is dampening inflation in the U.S. because it lowers the price of imports, right? But if you go to Europe or the U.K., right, the collapse 20, 25% of their currency raises the cost of imports and depreciates the value of their currency. Well, if the value of the currency collapses, inflation rises, guess what happens to the bond owners? Their net worth, their asset values fall. You know, and when it's 20, 25% collapse in your asset values, they kind of get upset. So here comes Liz Truss, and she's not in line with the Bank of England to protect the values of those bonds and other assets. No, no, she's trying to do something about helping the folks out because they want to get elected, you see. <laughs> uh, and uh, it's a clash. And the bond vigilantes won. They threw her under the bus. They got away with it, right? Shows you where the real power is behind the political scene. It's the capitalists, in this case, the finance capitalists, behind the scene, uh, who prevailed. And they will vet, for sure, the next PM. They're going to have, you know, the Conservative Party is, is having uh, elections internally to select their next leader. You know, who would that be? Well, it's not Liz Truss. She's gone. She resigned. Who will that be? Well, the runner-up to her last time, 45 days ago? Mm. This is a guy called Sunak, Chancellor of the Exchequer, which is the Treasury. 
right? Uh, he lost out. Uh, but Boris Johnson threw his hat in the ring again. Oh, Boris is trying to get back in, you know? Big buffoon Boris here. Uh, I don't think he will. Uh, I'm going to go out on a limb and say, I think the guy they're going to select is this defense. Uh, I think he's a defense minister, Ben Wallace. Think of that name, Ben Wallace. Well, why Ben? Well, Ben just went to Washington and just coming back from Washington. What did he go to Washington for? Well, to meet uh, to meet with the emperor, right? And to get the emperor's blessing. That's a special relationship. You know, the U.S. calls the shots on the U.K. now. Uh, and so I think Ben Wallace is in the running here. We'll see. Maybe I'm totally wrong. But the fact that he went just him, you know, maybe he went to uh, Washington to coordinate, you know, the Ukraine policy, uh, who knows, or maybe to agree uh, to get the okay to uh, sabotage another uh, gas pipeline, who knows. But uh, uh, he's a long shot. He may, he may prevail. I don't think they'll take another shot on Boris here, you know. He's, he's just uh, damaged goods, right? Uh, it's either Wallace or Sunak, I think. Well, we'll, we'll see. But whoever it is, uh, the next policy will be an austerity policy, fiscal policy, austerity fiscal policy by the government there in the UK. UK. Uh, they will not uh, try to uh, uh, buck uh, the central bank and what the bondholders want. By the way, here's an Interesting aside to all this, historic irony here a little bit. What was Trust trying to do? Well, she was trying to stimulate the economy with fiscal policy while the central bank was trying to slow it down with monetary policy of, of hiking interest rates. So they were contradictory. They were working against each other, right? And that's what the bondholders got all upset about. Well, that's exactly what Ronald Reagan did back in 1981-83. Yeah, the Federal Reserve raised interest rates to 16-17% in the U.S., but Ronald Reagan proposed cutting taxes by $700 billion and increasing war spending. Uh, cutting a little social spending a little bit, right? So on net, the fiscal policy of Reagan was stimulative, right? Increased spending, yeah, it would wreck the deficit, but they don't give a shit about the deficit anymore. Right? That's just for public consumption. So Liz Truss was just trying to do what Ronald Reagan did, and she got sacked for it. Think about that. Think about that. That Reagan solution, that neoliberal solution of high rates and increased war uh, spending uh, didn't go over in the U.K., didn't go over. The bondholders and finance capitalists don't give a damn what happens to the UK economy. Just protect the value of their investments and their assets. That's that's the message. And that's the harbinger of what's to come in the rest of Europe, I believe. Right? Although the European Central Bank is moving slower at raising rates and uh, uh, they haven't really got to the point where they're stimulating the economy. They're providing some subsidies, which they're going to have to do this winter a lot more. Right? Uh, but we'll see what happens. Uh, already there's a lot of discontent 
at the working class, middle class level, you know, French workers are going on strike to restore their lost income. And you've got uh, a right wing uh, uh, government now in uh, in Italy. Uh, and who knows what's going to happen? Uh, I think something similar, uh, you know, in Germany at some point. So uh, a lot of it, political instability going to follow up here in Europe. Uh, but, uh, you know, Truss's policy was Reaganomics. Yeah. Okay. By the way, the real economy in UK is slowing very dramatically. Uh, retail sales for the last two months are running at a contraction of 15 to 20 percent, right? The real economy is in recession in the UK here, no doubt. Uh, the UK is, is the uh, test case, test case for U.S. global policy. Oh, how so? Well, the policy of uh, uh, sanctions and energy shortages. Mm -hmm. uh, see, the U.S. has a glut of oil and gas. <laughs> it's it's uh, Europe that doesn't have enough, right? That's how it's dramatically different. And what's different, of course, is the U.S. Uh, uh, monetary interest rate policy, the U.S. is saying, you know, we're going to raise rates and, and deal with this inflation. Come hell or high water, we don't give a shit what happens to the rest of the world. Yeah, that's what's going on. In the rest of the world, their currencies are collapsing as a result, and their inflation is rising even faster. Right. Okay. Uh, by the way, the, the Japanese yen is down over 20%. Through the floor, so uh, so is a record fall in the Indian rupee uh, and uh, and the euro and the pound and just about everything else in the world. The U.S. is generating a global currency crisis, uh, which is going to end up in defaults on a lot of bonds here eventually. Okay, so that's uh, the focus on the personality of Liz Trust. You know. Uh, we can move on here and talk about some other personalities. Oh, Steve Bannon. Boy, they really stuck it to Steve, didn't they? Wow, he's going to get four months in jail for refusing to observe congressional subpoenas, and he's going to get fined a whopping $6,500. What a joke, four months and $6,500. Right, for refusal to cooperate with Congress, you think that's going to set a precedent? You're damn right. None of the Trump people are going to agree to any subpoena and never show up before Congress again. This is the end of the January 6th committee. Yeah, it's the end. That's it. Nothing else is going to happen. Yeah. Wow. I mean, that, that's, that, that's getting lost in the general news, right? So Bannon wins. Yeah, he's going to look like a hero. You know, he's going to spend four months in a, in a, a nice uh, confinement for, uh, you know, wealthy people. It's almost like a resort uh, with a fence, right? <laughs> that's where the rich people go. You know, out here in California, if you're rich and you, you engage in some bad white-collar crime and steal millions, you know, you get to go to Lompoc. Lompoc is a nice prison on the coast somewhere down there in Santa, uh, Southern California where, you know, you, you just can't leave the, pre the premises, but it's not a jail sell no way you know you get to walk out on the on the grounds during the day and so forth right uh okay um 
Steve Bannon wins, in my opinion. What about Elon Musk? What's happening with Elon? Right? Well, Elon is a strange bird, you know? Um, Elon, at the beginning of the Ukraine war, turned over his uh, low-level uh, satellite system called Starlink, of which there are, you know, there's hundreds of those, maybe thousands of those. I'm not sure, uh, low-level satellites. They're communication satellites, okay? And the U.S. and NATO have been using those satellites, his satellites, Starlink, uh, to target uh, Russian uh, forces and resources uh, in, in Ukraine in the battle with great effectiveness, you see. Uh, that Starlink system allows uh, U.S. weapons, uh, smart weapons, uh, to very precisely hit ammunition dumps and and hit uh, headquarters, you know, Russian Russian forces headquarters and so forth, and um, uh, it's caused uh, some significant uh, havoc here with Russia being able to or unable to uh, provide logistic support uh, to its forces in the field because uh, you know the satellites and then the HIMARS uh, long distance missiles the U.S. has given. Uh, Given uh, Ukraine and the and the smart uh, smart shells um, combined with uh, you know drones and uh, Starlink and so forth uh, has allowed uh, some successes against um, uh, Russia supplying its frontline uh, uh, forces here. Uh, in fact, the the general for logistics for Russia was was sacked by Putin uh, because of this not too long ago. Uh, okay, so um, Musk now is backing off. Uh, first, he said that, oh, the U.S. needs to pay him. He's losing $80 million by letting the U.S. use his Starlink system of satellites. Uh, he wants to get paid. Uh, at the same time, uh, you know, he's tweeting uh, things like, uh, oh, Zelensky and the Ukraine should sit down with the Russians and be prepared to give up some land for peace, right? Oh, that's raised the hackle of Zelensky and the Ukrainians and their friends. Yeah, how dare you, Elon Musk, say you should negotiate rather than drive Russia out of every foot of Ukraine. Yeah, Uh well, why is he saying that? Why is Elon saying that? Well, it appears the Russians have some sort of technology that can neutralize some of these Starlink satellites, and they've been doing that. And of course, if you can neutralize them, then you can shoot them down, right? Uh, so uh, Elon's getting a little worried about that happening. And Elon's been tweeting, yeah, he's walking a tightrope, but he's been tweeting a little bit. Uh, you know, in the direction of Russian interest here. And that's got the U.S. government uh, attention. And the U.S. government says it's going to start hearings on the strategic nature of the Starlink system. They know. You know, they don't need hearings to understand it. They're using it. Uh, this is a way of putting pressure on Elon, you know. Okay, Elon, maybe we'll just nationalize your system, right? Then we'll take them all away. You know, back off, Elon, you know. We're not going to pay you. And, uh, you know, stop tweeting about, you know, negotiating settlements here. 
Also, they've announced, I notice, their intent to start investigating uh, Musk's uh, Twitter deal. Yeah, they can start hearings on that one. So this is the way they put pressure on, on uh, you know, recalcitrant uh, uh, capitalists here, right? Uh, play ball or the U.S. state going to squeeze you, right? Uh, so that's interesting. What's going on with Elon, right? Uh, another guy I think of uh, of interest is this fellow Nouriel Rubini. He's an economist out of New York, uh, New York University economist. He's got some sort of a of a program going there. <clears throat> He's he comments a lot and has been for. Uh, decades here on the economy. He understands the financial system. Uh, he was one of the handful who predicted the crash in 2008-9. Uh, interesting fellow. And of course, he's already said about a month ago that the recession is going to be very, very serious. It's not going to be a soft landing. It's going to be very serious here. And uh, now he just uh, also came out last week and said, um, World War III has already started. You, know, you can't see it, but in Ukraine, it's already started. Because neither side now can back down. They can only escalate. The Russians uh, you know, had a referenda in those four sectors. They're part of Russia now. They're not going to negotiate that away. You know? And they will throw whatever they need into the cauldron here to maintain control of those. So, so you're not going to satisfy uh, Zelensky and the Ukrainians who say, you know, Russia's got even got to get out of Crimea, you know? Uh, and Zelensky can't do anything except be absolute because he'll get himself assassinated by the, the right wing there uh, in, in Ukraine. Reportedly, you know, it's the uh, the CIA and and uh, NSA that have uh, th that are protecting him. They're his bodyguards now uh, in in Kiev, right? Yeah, he's their boy. He does whatever they want, and then some, right? Even what they don't want, like calling for nuclear tactical nuclear weapon strikes here. Uh, in the Ukraine. I mean, this guy's really desperate. Uh, anyway, uh, I thought it was interesting that um, Nouriel Roubini, you know, would say World War Three has already begun. Well, maybe it has, you know. Uh, you know, in July and August 1914, uh, uh, you know, the contestants did not know they were going to end up in a world war. And, you know, these world wars sort of occur in stages, you know, uh, they, they build up until they, they blow up. Okay, so uh, I thought that was interested by Nurio. He's not hesitant coming out and saying, you know, that's the situation. And boy, all this loose talk about tactical nukes on both sides going on is really scary. Really scary going on. Both sides are talking about neocons in the West want to do it. They think they can get away with it. And uh, their counterparts in Russia are talking the same thing, right? 
something to really be worried about, I think. I think. Okay, another guy of um, of interest in terms of statement is this uh, uh, global uh, financial, uh, well placed uh, analyst, economist. Um, what uh, dip, diplom, economic diplomat, whatever, a guy named Mohammed El Arian, who ran some big bond funds, I think, not too long ago. I think he's still he's still associated with Allianz, which is a big bond fund in Europe, right? Uh, Mohammed El Arian, very well respected. He shows up on uh, uh, periodically on a lot of these business uh, channels and so forth. Uh, he came out with an interesting statement last week that said, uh, well, you know, the central banks, especially the Fed, are really pushing the capitalist system to the brink here with these rapid, significant rate hikes uh, in, you know, in the environment of war and sanctions and collapse of global supply chains on the one hand and just coming out of the, the, the COVID uh, uh you know, crisis that we've had in the economy, uh, just piling, piling crises on top of crisis. I mean, think about it. We got we had COVID that shut down the global economy, right, and ravaged it. Millions of people died, right? Uh, that seemed to get a little bit under control, and and then we have war right on top of that. You know, overlaid right on top of that with all the its impact on supply chains and and uh, restructuring the global economy and trade and energy and industrial commodities and everything, you know, that came right on the heels, in fact, overlapped with the COVID uh, situation. And then you get the central banks, uh, you know, saying, uh, uh, damn the torpedoes, full speed ahead. <laughs> you know, we're raising those interest rates. We don't give a shit what happens to anybody else. I'm talking mostly about the, uh, you know, advanced economies, the Western economies, the G7 economies, you know, raising interest rates, with the exception of Japan, right? uh, and uh, don't really care what happens to emerging markets and their problems. You know, back in 2013, to digress a little bit, uh, the uh, the Fed started raising rates once again because they, you know, rates went to zero during the Great Recession. Uh, and then they tried raising rates a little bit in 2013. Uh, and that started causing uh, problems we see now, uh, much worse now, uh, in emerging markets than the rest of the world. You know, their currencies began to fall and, you know, they had to raise interest rates and their economy slowed and their inflation rose. Okay, that was starting to happen in 2013, because the Fed was raising rates at 13. Uh, but then the Fed stopped doing that because it was exacerbating the crisis in emerging markets. Right? This time, the Fed is not stopping. This time, the Fed is raising rates, and the rest be damned. And they're going to be damned, right? Uh, the worst recessions and the worst economic crisis and financial instability is going to occur in emerging markets. Now, China, which is in emerging markets, has enough assets that can it can protect itself, right? And uh, uh, Europe, 
of course, is uh, the weak spot in Europe. Britain's the weak spot in Europe, right? So the crisis will will exacerbate and financial instability more likely right now will emerge out of Europe, you know, either in the UK or some other European bank. We'll see next week the earnings of all the European banks. Credit Suisse, I talked about the big uh, uh, black eye there in the European banking system. Uh, and of course, we have the uh, 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 property market problem in uh, China, <coughs> still an issue. Not that the property developers will crash, but the Western shadow banks that have loaned them a lot of money <coughs> may uh, uh, suffer. And uh, through those shadow banks, the rest of the Western banking system. So if you're going to look at financial instability somewhere, you know, I would look at uh, uh, China property developers that have been sort of uh, hiccuping for some time, uh, European banks, you know, Credit Suisse, pension funds, which are shadow banks, you see, unregulated shadow banks, uh, which we don't know about their condition. You know, the, the, uh, in Britain and, and in Europe, we, we don't know about how well these shadow banks are doing because they're not regulated very well. You know, uh, the big banks are regulated. The government can see what's happening. You know, they do stress tests, as they call them, on uh, uh, J.P. Morgan and Wells and Bank of America, right? Uh, they can see what they're doing, but they can't see what the hedge funds are doing or the private equity, you know, are doing, you know, Elliott's and the Citadel and uh, Black, you know, Black, what, what is it, Black Sound or Black, I forgot the Big, big hedge funds, right? They, they, they can't see. Investment banks, you know, Goldman Sachs, profits down 43%. Mm. You know, investment banks are part of the shadow banking system. Pension funds are part of that system. Uh, boutique banks, right? Peer-to-peer -peer lending, uh, all that. Hedge funds, all of that are what we call the shadow banks. They're unregulated, and these crises usually erupt in the shadow banks first. That's what happened back in 2008 because uh, they can't see it coming, you see. And uh, that's probably where it's going to originate again. Uh, and I I would bet, uh, you know, maybe in Europe. <clears throat> uh, but who knows exactly? We'll, we'll have to watch it. But the fact that you keep raising interest rates, which the Fed will, because inflation is not coming down very much. As I've said before, a lot of the inflation is supply side commodities, you know, industrial, uh, energy, so forth. That's a lot of inflation plus corporate price gouging by monopolistic corporations. That's supply side. Um, you know, the Fed can't do anything about that. And that's at least half of the inflation, whether you're talking about Europe or the U.S. And the Fed's raising interest rates, attacking the demand side. Yeah, it can cause a recession and take out demand inflation, but that still leaves you with four to five percent, which means the Fed will continue raising rates or not lowering them once they're up there. And uh, that will keep the dollar high and keep uh, currencies collapsing elsewhere and deeper recession and inflation elsewhere. Okay. Uh, so uh, back to Mohammed El Arian, where does he fit in all this? Well, Mohammed said, uh, you know, something wrong with these central banks, especially the Fed. 
you know, and um, maybe they shouldn't be so independent anymore. You see, there's this fiction that the central banks, the Fed, is independent of the politicians, you know, that uh, it undertakes monetary policy, uh, that the politicians would just uh, manipulate for election purposes. We can't let the elected representatives in a democracy determine uh, interest rates. We got to give it to, you know, a special few. Well, who are the special few? Right? Independence from whom? You know, independence from the elected politicians or independence from the banks and finance capitalists who still, in my opinion, control this Fed and the central banks. Not day-to-day -day operations, but the strategic direction. Oh, you know, we need to raise rates. Oh, we need to lower rates, right? I think the big bankers and financial interests uh, determine that through the Fed. Yeah, they still determine that. Uh, look, I talked about this all in my book in 2017, Central Bankers at the End of the Ropes, subtitled Monetary Policy in the Coming Depression. Well, we'll see whether I was right here. Uh, uh, you know, you can read some reviews of that. Go go to my blog, jackrasmus.com, and I think uh, there are some, uh, you, you can go to my website from there, and, uh, and the website, there's all kind of reviews on the review tag uh, of, of the book, if you want to see what it is. Um, you know, I think I'm going to post the... Uh, uh, the addendum at the end of that book uh, on my blog here uh, soon. JackRasmus.com is the blog. I'll do that this weekend. Uh, uh, the addendum is how to reform the Fed, how to democratize the Fed, how to take it out of the hands of the finance capitalists, you know, and how they still exercise control. You know, the Fed was created and run totally by the banks themselves in 1913. Yeah, and they screw things up uh, that they had to give a partial control, share the control in the 1930s with reforms that occurred in the 1930s. Well, I think those reforms uh, are outmoded and they need to really change the Federal Reserve, the central bank, and make it uh, responsive to the whole economy, not to the bankers' interests. Uh, anyway, I have a proposal on how to reform the Fed legislation and uh, a constitutional amendment uh, to elect the Fed directors, you know, not to allow uh, the bankers to vet, as they do now, to vet the governors who are appointed to the to the Fed and control uh, the presidents of the 12 districts of the Fed. That's how they exercise their control through uh, what's called the uh, Open Market Committee, uh, composed of, uh, of a district, district Fed presidents and these seven governors, and of course, Jerome Powell, right? That's how they run, they, they, they vet the people, so they're... Clearly, uh, you know, the banks don't run it day to day anymore, the Fed, uh, but they control its strategic direction still. And uh, that needs to change because we see what happens uh, in the UK when the Bank of England is just doing what the hell it wants and screw everybody else, 
even the politicians will throw you under the bus if you don't do what we want. We're the bond vigilantes, right? Uh, so uh, that's an example, you know, how ultimately the capitalists run the central banks. Uh, in the U.S., it's a little more sophisticated, but they do the same. Anyway, I got a proposal on how to reform, i.e. democratize, the Fed. Uh, that was in my 2017 book, Central Bankers Under the Ropes. Check it out if you want to read the whole history uh, of the Fed and central banks uh, in the major economies of the world, not just the Fed. <clears throat> uh, take a look at the book and the last chapter of my forecasts, which are coming true now, five years later. Anyway, I will post that How to Reform the Fed addendum at the end of that book here on my blog uh, this weekend, <clears throat> if you want to take a look at it. Okay, so Mohammed Aryan raised this 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 bogeyman that you're not supposed to talk about called who's the, you know is the Fed independent? You know, this is a fiction. This is an ideological fiction that the Fed is independent. Independent of whom? Uh, well, maybe independent of uh, elected representatives in Congress, but not independent of the banks and finance interests. No. So independence from whom is an important question. You know, finance capitalists with their key people uh, that they contribute uh, uh, to run for uh, the Senate and the House who, who head up the banking committees in both the House and the Senate. Uh, they're part of the, uh, the finance capitalist uh, method for manipulating uh, the Fed. Okay, but it's interesting that uh, Mohammed comes up uh, you know, and raises the, uh, the bogeyman that uh, no one's supposed to raise, that maybe the Fed shouldn't be independent. You know, it's fucking up here, you know, causing, uh, uh, you know, real instability in, in the global economy. And maybe even uh, uh, if it keeps going, precipitating a financial crisis. Um, interesting. Interesting that uh, we, Mohammed came out and said that. You know, we'll see whether others start uh, echoing it. Another interesting uh, meeting is between the U.S. Defense Secretary and the Russian Defense Secretary. That's uh, Austin is the U.S. guy, and Shoigu is the Russian guy. They're meeting. Oh, what are they talking about? I'd like to be a fly on that wall. Right? What are they meeting? Is it something up? Uh, are they trying to uh, ensure no tactical nukes get used in Ukraine? Or uh, sort of... Uh, uh, Telling each other what their red lines are, don't cross it or else, right? Uh, we know there's been some contact between uh, NATO uh, uh, surveillance aircraft over the Black Sea and uh, Russian jets, right? Russian jets fired on, on the NATO aircraft, uh, which it quickly scuttled away. Uh, and... Uh, the excuse was, oh, it was an accident. The Russians said, oh, you know, it was an accidental release of a missile by a pilot. I don't believe that. <laughs> well, you know, maybe that's got Austin concerned here, and they're meeting over that, right? Or maybe it's uh, over uh, this this joint uh, 
accusation going on between the Russians and the Ukrainians about who's going to blow up, you know, yeah. the dam on the Dnieper River. You know, that's where the fighting is in Kherson and this big river, the Dnieper, runs through right through it. And the Russians are on both sides and they're fighting like hell on the north side of that uh, river here. Uh, but uh, Zelensky is saying the Russians have uh, mined the dam upstream and they're going to blow that dam uh, to stop our offensive. And the Russians are saying... Oh, no, uh, you know, the Ukrainians have targeted the demand. They're going to do that in, in order to swamp our troops here in the field, because most of the, the flooding will be on the Russian side, you see, should that dam be busted. Well, maybe they're meeting to say, you know, Shoigu and Austin, well, well, maybe, we, you know, let's both back off of, of blowing the dam, guys. Who knows? Who knows? But there's an interesting meeting. Uh, between uh, quietly here between the heads of the defense agencies of both Russia and the U.S. Uh, Zelensky, Zelensky, you know, going crazy. Uh, as I said, he admitted after just one week, thirty uh, percent, likely fifty percent of the electricity uh, infrastructure has been destroyed, um, and he wants uh, Israel. Uh, to provide uh, to to join to join with Ukraine here in the war and to provide uh, uh, anti-drone anti-missile missiles here from Israel, right? Uh, I mean the Russians are now using Iranian drones, which appear to be quite effective, and uh, apparently uh, the Ukrainians can't stop them all with the anti-missile systems they got, so they want upgraded missiles. The U.S. is going to try to rush some stuff to them, uh, but they want it from Israel as well. Uh, Israel, you know, is in the middle of elections, and Israel is you know, sort of non-committal as to, uh, I think the Israelis say, well, we'll help you build this stuff, but we're not going to give it to you yet. That's where they are, right? Uh so Zelensky, you know, interesting fellow there in the middle of that uh, fight. And you can usually count him uh, and what he says as the direction uh, that NATO may be going. Uh, oh, OK. We already talked about uh, Boris Johnson. Believe it or not, Boris, right, trying to run again and get back in just shows uh, uh, the depth of the crisis of the political lead in the Ukraine that they got to really think about bringing Boris back. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> that's something. That's something, right? It shows how, how uh, decadent. Uh, uh, you know, and, but this is, this is what happens when you get these severe crises, you know. The uh, political system becomes a reflection of the economic crisis. Right. When they can't when when the political elites uh, can't agree on what the solution is. Right. And they fight amongst themselves. Uh, you get what you see going on in the UK. Well, you know, that's been going on here in the US, too, slowly growing. You know, it's, it's really accelerated, intensified in the Ukraine, in, in the UK because of uh, the crisis is so much more intense over there uh, than it is here the economic crisis, right? 
like I said, the, the Europeans are really taking it in the ear over energy costs and inflation. And the U.S. doesn't have that same problem. Uh, and uh, the Europeans are, are uh, their, their energy crisis and economic impact is exacerbated by their currency collapsing crisis. But we don't have that over here. Just the opposite. Uh, the U.S. is exporting its uh, crises of inflation uh, through the monetary system, through the dollar, and, and so forth. Uh, and, of course, the U.S. doesn't have an energy crisis. You know, it's sitting on a glut, a glut of oil and gas. It's interesting that, uh, uh, you know, Biden also came out this past week saying, uh, oh, we're going to release more oil from the Strategic Petroleum Reserve I think they released half of it already, and a very nominal impact on gas prices, really. And uh, then, uh, you know, Biden gets all upset and Congress gets all upset because the Saudis uh, uh, indicate they're, they're going to cut production by two million barrels, uh, which will raise the global price of crude uh, just at a time that the U.S. and Biden are trying to get them to do the opposite, right? So the U.S. had jumped around and got all excited, you know. Biden came out and said some nasty things about the, the Saudis, and Congress passed some nasty resolutions, you know. But then yesterday, what did they say? Oh, the U.S. came out and said, oh, we don't mean Saudi Arabia or OPEC. No, we, we just mean the Russians, right? Uh, I mean, talk about capitulation. In the past, the U.S. would never do that, you know, but essentially said, uh, oh, we're sorry. Uh, we don't mean you, you know. We just mean mean the Russians. Uh, so, you know, Biden kind of backtracked on, on that whole crisis. And you don't hear anything more about anti-Saudi resolutions in Congress, right? Another um, interesting uh, uh personal commentary here. Mario Draghi, who was the head of the European Central Bank during the last crisis, and then became prime minister of Italy, uh, and then recently just got defeated by a, a coalition of right-wing parties in Italy. Uh, Mario Draghi comes out here this week and says, Europe is already in recession. Yeah, well, everybody knew that, but to admit it, Right. right, a person at his level, you know, it shows you, uh, you know, it's getting pretty serious over there. Last commentary is uh, on uh, Kevin McCarthy. He's the head of the Republicans in the House of Representatives. He will be the new, almost for certain, uh, the new uh, Speaker of the House when the Republicans uh, throw the Democrats out of the majority. Uh, that's almost, I'll give you any odds that that's going to happen. Uh, because clearly, you know, uh, the American voters are concerned, all the polls show it's inflation in the economy they're most concerned about. Uh, they're not so concerned about the Supreme Court decision. You know, that, that's way down there on the list in the polls, you know, the, the reproductive rights decision by the Supreme Court. Uh, the Democrats are trying to really, you know, use that issue uh, I don't think they're going to get much traction on that. I don't think that's an issue. And and the people don't really give a shit about the January 6th committee. Uh, but that's the core of the Democrat strategy here in the midterm elections. Uh, plus to hype up the fact that uh, 
uh, Biden has passed these three bills in Congress, you know, the uh, uh, Inflation Reduction Act, the, uh, the Chip uh, Manufacturing Subsidy Act, and before that, the Infrastructure Act, none of which has hit the economy yet. You know, none of it. Oh, he's going to hype that up. Most of which in all those three cases is really subsidies for corporations uh, to try to get them uh, uh, also to come back from uh, Taiwan and, and China and so forth. The U.S. is clearly preparing for a long-term conflict with China. It wants to move its strategic uh, uh, tech industries back out of China, back to the U.S. or someplace safe like Mexico. Right? That's clearly occurring. Uh, but, uh, you know... He'll try. He'll Biden tries. Will try to spend those three bills as you know significant job production, which is nonsense. Plus January sixth, you know, uh, situation, uh, you know, and uh, reproductive rights. Well, Democrats are going to get swamped. <clears throat> I think they're going to lose a net uh, a net of eight seats. Yeah. Uh, it could be more, but I think, you know, six to eight seats to lose. Clearly, McCarthy will have a majority uh, in in the House. Uh, and I believe the, they're going to lose the Senate, too. I think they're going to lose uh, uh, Nevada and, uh, and uh, Pennsylvania. Uh, okay, and, and the margin will be my, probably 51-49 in the Senate. So Republicans are going to control both houses of Congress. Here, I believe. And then it's going to be uh, whether uh, uh, Biden will exercise the veto or will agree to show he's done something, but it will be either austerity severe or austerity light in the next two years. But it's interesting that McCarthy said, uh, uh, we're, we don't agree with a blank check for Ukraine. Oh, what is that? And that's gotten attention, you know. Uh, what does that mean? Uh, well, I think they're going to continue. Republicans will continue uh, providing funds for Ukraine. Question is, they may put a cap on it because I think they're really more concerned about China. They're not going to cut the spending for for dealing with China, right? Uh, they will cut. <laughs>